In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. We've got a quick intro video for you today. We're live all the way from Ben Gurion University with an incredible individual, Professor Abraham Zangin, who is, if if you have read a little bit about neuroplasticity, if you have read a little bit about um, magnet using magnetics to change the way people interact with different disorders, then you've probably read about him. Doctor, I wanted just to give you a quick intro to introduce people to who you are and what your work is. But before I do that, how are you today? I'm great, and uh, it's good to see you. I like the difference in the time zones, like we are talking in the two sides of the planet. So it's uh, exciting. Yeah, you know, I was thinking when we got started, we're on these two different sides of the planet, almost like two different hemispheres of the brain, but we're connecting and kind of moving our language through there. And, right. you know, as, as we're getting started here, you have been the inventor of some fascinating technologies. You've had a very fascinating career. You've won some awards. But I was wondering if you could maybe, in this introductory video, maybe give people a little bit of background about how you got started. Yeah, well, I actually always was uh, very interested in the brain. So I learned some physics, I learned some biology, some medical uh, studies, and physics was really my, my main love. And um, when I uh, started understanding in my post, in my PhD studies already, the, the mode of action of antidepressant medications, this was my, my main uh, you know, interest was how how really the brain works and specifically how do psychiatric disorder mess our brains and how medications can fix it. So this was my main uh, curiosity when I when I was uh, much younger, like 25 years ago. Uh, then uh, I, I realized that 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 we should use the physics of of uh, electromagnetic uh, fields to change the brain. So this was 
something that really happened only later on after I completed my, my PhD studies uh, in Israel. I moved to a, for a postdoctoral fellowship at uh, NIH in the United States. And there I learned about electrical stimulation. And uh, I was fascinated, actually, fascinated by the fact that I can implant electrodes to rats in the reward system, like the lateral hypothalamus or other parts of the brain that were the uh, fibers of the reward uh, passed through. And then rats would le learn to press a lever in order to inject currents to their brain. And they will get crazy about it. They will not leave the lever. And I did... I did have experience before with the rats, you know, with animal behavior. And, um, you know, we can get uh, rats to self-administer cocaine or other drugs. And, and it takes time to really teach them to do that. And they, they do become addicted. Yeah, and then we, we can learn about the changes, the plasticity in their brain and what, what goes wrong during the addiction process. But for electrical stimulation, it was so easy. I mean, they... Learn it so fast. It was so strongly, so rewarding. They, they, and th this was fascinating. So this was actually where I, I, I started thinking about we, we should use this electrical stimulation or electromagnetic stimulation using external, using external coils uh, in humans. We, we also tried it in rats to, to, to manipulate the electrical activity of the brain and make changes to brain circuitries. So. This was a long answer to your short question, but yeah, I think I think really it started from pharmacology of antidepressant drugs and into the physics of electromagnetic fields uh, to manipulate uh, brain plasticity. You know, it's I, I've often seen a pattern with people who find themselves fascinated with with neuroplasticity and behavior and drugs that elicit behavior to help addiction or depression or anxiety. And that, that's been a pattern of people being affected in their lives by that or having someone close to them affected that. Was that the case for you? Myself, not. Some others in my family, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, psychiatric disorders. And I, I was actually, yes, I, I always was afraid as a, during my adulthood. I mean, during my, my when I was a teenager, I, I mean, uh, of, of becoming uh, schizophrenic. I always thought that I'm on the on the border of being. I, I was afraid. I was anxious actually about that. That, that, that I, I I might I might lose uh, sanity, right? Uh, if if I pronounce it right. So, but but not, nothing ha not, nothing happened to me. So I never experienced psychedelic uh, drugs except for my research when I tried to study the mode of action of uh, uh, THC. And this was actually during my postdoctoral fellowship at the NIH. So I had a very pure, you know, compound there to inject the rats and learn about, get uh, rats to self-administer THC directly to their brain. So they press the lever to get THC directly to the brain and find the trigger zone in the brain for the effects of, of tetrahydrocannabinol, the, you know, so, so cannabis, right? So I that uh, if I'm studying that, I should experience it myself. So this was the first time I experienced that. So I took this pure THC that I had from the lab and 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 and, and put it on a cigarette, you know, and I, I, I smoked it and I felt nothing. I said, well, I, I went according to the literature, to the average dose of THC in a, in a, in a joint, 
and it had uh, I felt like it had no effect on me. And I thought, yes, also when I take alcohol, it doesn't really affect me. I need very high doses to get affected, so it's probably not affecting me. So I went into my car going home through the beltway of Baltimore. That was where I, I lived. And uh, after maybe 20 minutes, I felt like, which exit should I go out? And I was driving there for, for, for three years, you know, I was working it. And so then, then I started feeling the effect. But other than that, I had no real experience. I had no real experience. Then uh, I, I, I got the way home eventually, but, but no, no experience with that myself, except for my family. There were some issues in my family. And, but uh, yeah, I think that, that, that my interest in the field did not come from that, from, from the family. It came from, from pure curiosity on how our brain works and how, where is the source of self? Mm. Where and uh, the interaction between body and mind was always very interesting for me. Uh, when I read a book, uh, I think I was like 16 years old when I read a book of uh, an Israeli philosopher named Shayao uh, Leibovich, uh, really talking about the conflict, I mean, the, dual, the dualistic question about the interaction between um, brain and mind. And, uh, and this, this, was, this actually started my interest in the field, not, not personal or family uh, issues. Thank you for sharing that story. It's it's, it's so comical to be like, yeah, this one didn't really affect me. You get in your car and start driving, and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I think a lot of people, who, any I think anyone who has tried a really large dose of cannabis, especially the first time, has had a story that's like, yeah, this is not working, but then it does work and stuff like that. It's it's interesting. If if I if I move forward in the conversation, just for time's sake. When we think about neuroplasticity and whether it's uh, transcranial magnetics or if it is, it, when you when you think about it, is it the brain bypassing parts of the other brain, like open heart surgery bypasses a blocked vein? Like, is that similar to how neuroplasticity works, or is it just new connections being made in different parts? Okay, so so now we are really going fast yeah. forward. To the to the to the technology that that I, I was together with my colleagues using electromagnetic fields with uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation, and 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 now to really explain this, first we should know that when you induce a, a single pulse, okay, just a single pulse, put it let's say on your motor cortex, like it's the strip between okay. your two parts or so. So you put you you put the coil over here. You come to my lab. I press the button and your hand will jump even if you try to resist it, right? Because it stimulates this, the, the, the pathways that go from the decision to make the, the movement through your spinal cord all the way to the muscle and the hand moves and you cannot resist it, right? So this is a single pulse effect. But, what, but to your question, when we use TMS to change uh, the brain or uh, change <clears throat> circuitries in the brain to change mm. behavior, to affect diseases and so on. It's not a single pulse that can just make your hand move. We place the coil over the relevant areas of the brain. In the case of depression or addictions that we are trying to treat, we put it over the prefrontal cortex, different 
parts of the prefrontal cortex. And then we apply multiple pulses, many uh, repetitive uh, pulses, uh, like 3,000 per day, wow. you know, to change the connectivity in the circuitry, to make a stable change, not just to induce a single, you know, pulse that can make a functional change in your behavior, like make your hand or leg jump, but to really affect the connectivity in the circuitry. And uh, we have even more advanced technologies that we are now developing that instead of just stimulating a certain area in the brain, we stimulate several areas and coordinate the timing between the stimulations in order to really change really the circuitry um, uh, in the brain that we believe is involved in the pathology of a certain disease. So the answer, the, again, it was a long answer to a short question. It's not that, that we are, that it's, not, it's not that we are affecting uh, a, a, a certain area, it's that we are affecting the connections between different areas in the brain by multiple sessions of uh, such uh, stimulation. And a single session, even these 3,000 pulses per day, cannot induce a lasting effect. If we want to really change the, the brain, the circuitry, we have to repeat that daily for several weeks. Uh, although we can get an effect after like two weeks, like 10 sessions or so of stimulation, but to really maintain the effect and have a therapeutic effect like in depressive patients, we need to maintain the, the, the treatment for several weeks. Yeah. It's so, it, it blows my mind to think that like that potential methodology can have such, even if you do it over a few weeks, people are on drugs for their whole life. Like a few weeks pales in comparison to being on something that can change who you are for your life. Is it, is it changing the structure of the brain? Are we seeing long elongated dendritic spines and like yeah so there are there is some evidence for that some changes in uh, the dendritic uh, tree uh, some uh, work in my lab that we, where we tested this in animals and, and models and we can we could learn about uh, uh, like creation of, of of new neurons in the delta gyros of the hippocampus uh, or changes in the in the density of the dendritic tree, but uh, the main thing that, that that we believe is happening is actually in the receptor, in the molecular level. So you don't really mm. change the structure of the brain; is more that you change the strengths of the connectivity between neurons in the brain. So mm. out say we have uh, we know that like in the human brain we have uh, hundred uh, billion neurons. Right, and when you apply stimulation, uh, you can uh, uh, with TMS uh, you can stimulate at once several millions of neurons, and the the connectivity and the circuitry between these neurons uh, can change and have a lasting uh, uh, neuroplasticity effect if you apply these pulses repeatedly and and for several sessions over several weeks or at least several days. Um, now we do have. Uh, some studies, recent studies, like uh, in a that, that we performed in alcoholic patients, where we apply the stimulation for for those who are seeking to, you know, the, the people that are really addicted to alcohol and are trying to to cure their addiction. Uh, 
and we were successful in several parameters, certain parameters that we applied. We tried different parameters until we found. So the parameters that were effective in treating alcohol addiction uh, also induced some changes in the white matter in the brain. So mm. question, we do also see in this case in very specific areas in the brain where uh, we could see uh, changes, uh, structural changes, indications for some mini structural changes following uh, three weeks of uh, treatment uh, uh, with like with uh, 3,000 passes per day over three weeks, like 15 sessions altogether, five days a week. And we compare the MRI before and after. Mm. We did also some changes in, in white matter, um, you know, connectivity uh, patterns. You mentioned MRI. Is that the way in which, is that one of the ways in which you're measuring the performance and the overall, uh, you know, efficacy, uh, the, the effectiveness and the efficacy of, of this whole thing? Or is, is it some neurofeedback imaging as well? Or how do you, how do you measure and manage this process? Yeah. So, so the main outcome measures are behavioral, right? Okay. We, we get behavior. In the case of addiction, we, we, we also, we cannot just rely on the reports of the patients or the subjects. <laughs> we also take some uh, urine or blood samples in order to see how much they drink before and after the treatment and so on. So we have some objective measures, but most of the measures, outcome measures are, are questionnaires or cognitive tests or in front of a computer test, depending on the specific study we are talking about. But uh, uh, the main outcome measures are behavioral and, mm -hmm. and cognitive performances and questionnaires. We do have MRI in order to understand the mechanism. So we look at functional MRI uh, measures, resting state activity, connectivity between areas uh, that, that are helping us to understand how we change the brain. And uh, we don't have enough information. We still don't really understand all the mechanisms, but these are the ways where we, which we use to, to understand what we did to the brain. But our main outcome measures eventually are the clinical ones and the behavioral ones. Yeah, it's, I'm wondering, do you, do you extend those questionnaires to like the patient's loved ones? It seems like sometimes the family member is a very good barometer of what's actually happening to someone else because they're an observer. Did the question just right. go to the, the loved ones as well? Uh, it should, <laughs> but uh, it's not, it's usually not the case. I mean, right. for one study we had, so we, we have to really detail about the different studies we had. We had studies in depression, we had studies in different types of addiction. The only case where we did have some input from, from family members was a study we did in ADHD. Mm. And for children, and there we want to also hear about the parents' uh, input. But in most studies, we only get the input from the patient itself and from the MRI, fMRI of that patient, or from EEG. We also use a lot of studies where we use electroencephalogram, EEG, to look at uh, changes that we can measure uh, over the treatment or predictors of response. We, we found, for example, in a recent study in depression, we, we tried two different coils affecting either the lateral or the medial prefrontal cortex. We compared 
the effectiveness of lateral versus medial prefrontal cortex stimulation to treat major depressive disorder in patients who did not respond to medications, patients that are resistant to medications. And we were looking for patterns of EEG that can predict which patients are going to respond to the lateral stimulation on the sides or to medial stimulation. So, and eventually this, uh, we, uh, this is a recent uh, study we published we, we did find some interesting patterns that indicate that some type of depression also behaviorally would respond better to the lateral stimulation and other parts of depression would respond to the medial stimulation. And along with that, we also find some electroencephalogram EEG patterns that, that uh, characterize the depressive type of patient that will respond to stimulation on the sides versus prefrontal cortex uh, sides, lateral. Uh, and other types of depressive patients that will respond better to medial stimulation. That's that that's that's our very like hot uh, oven hot uh, study that was published recently, and I'm very proud of it. Actually, in the field of addiction, actually we didn't get to that level yet, but in depression we already can predict the response based on some uh, clinical and electrophysiological patterns uh, that are. Uh, specific for that patient, like personalized medicine using brain stimulation uh, for depression. That is fascinating. It, 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 kind of, it kind of changes the landscape for depression when we start trying to understand where it's, it's located. If, I know that doesn't thoroughly make sense, but, you know, when you figure out, okay, over on this side is this kind of depression. And, you know, I, I was just thinking, like, you know, from what I've read, you know, people that are right-handed seem to utilize the left hand hemisphere. People that are left-handed use the right hemisphere. Do, do you have to take that into account for for each sort of diagnosis and each sort of treatment, whether someone's left-handed or right-handed, or is there a diet involved in it? If they eat like green leafy foods, does that change the way their their their, their metabolism and stuff is running? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 maybe, but we we didn't take this into account. <laughs> In, in um, studies where we, we, we use TMS to study the motor cortex, the motor responses, we only take right-handed okay. subjects. But some other labs did, did look at this more. Um, so, but I, I'm, I'm sure that anything you do in life will affect brain, and, and this yes. can affect the outcomes of stimulation. But we can't really control all these parameters uh, when we do the studies. Um, so it, it's fascinating to me. And I, I know that I, I, and I hope the people listening to this or watching this understand that what we're going through right now is just kind of a little teaser of your work so that for our next session, we can do a yeah. deeper dive. And you know, there's so right. much information in here and, and we're moving through it because it's fascinating. And I, I think that the audience will really enjoy just a, just kind of teasing people with a nice set of odors to, to, to get people's palate wet for what we got coming up in the future. But, you know, is is this recent study that you did that you're excited about? If you were yeah. to put on, or if you were to underscore three parts of this new study that you're really excited about, what would those three parts that you highlight be? In this specific study or in all my career? Because I thought that you are more interested in this in, 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 in two other studies that I did earlier. And uh, so I'm not sure what you really mean, but I think that the studies that we did on smartphones mm -hmm. 
and uh, finding that you know how people change when they are getting to use smartphones uh, and this was also using TMS or my study on self-awareness where we tried with brain stimulation to affect self-awareness uh, studies that I think are more interesting to the to the to the to the white public yeah. but this study that is more practical it's like it's like uh, optimizing our way to treat uh, depressive patients that are really suffering and do not respond to medications. So this recent study where we characterize the specific patients and find out which uh, type of stimulation or location of stimulation would be optimal. I, I'm very excited by this because it can really help people. But I, 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 we have to really decide where to focus our conversation. <laughs> I, I thought... I thought that that you will you will be more. Uh, I mean, based on the introduction, what I read about your interest uh, earlier, uh, uh, you will be more interested to hear about the, the not just about clinical studies helping depressive patients or addicted or alcoholic patients, but more about the studies we did in in healthy subjects and looking for how uh, stimulation can affect self awareness or what changes in the human brain following. Uh, smartphone use, and in this uh, actually study, we also use TMS to try to probe changes in the brain uh, that were induced following several months of using smartphones in those who originally used only stupid phones. And this, this it couldn't be done today, by the way. This study could only be done many years ago uh, before everyone had his own smartphone. So we were yeah, we're smart enough to uh, identify the potential and had students in my university that didn't yet have uh, smartphones, but only stupid phones. And we gave them smartphones and followed the development of their brain. So we should next time maybe talk yeah. about this as well. Yeah. Do you see maybe in the future, uh, your company Brainways making a smartphone that's also a coil that actually helps people? <laughs> yeah. Well, so far, it's it's a, it's a nice idea, but so far, we need uh, big coils. A, sm a small smartphone will not do the job because the in order to induce an effective field, physical from physical uh, you know uh, limitation, we need we need a large coils in order to reach deeper into the brain. This uh, Brainsway company. Uh, is actually taking advantage of the shape of the coil and the and, and the size of the coil in order to to really reach the relevant brain regions to reach deep enough into the brain we need big coils mm -hmm. so a small smartphone will not do it a smartphone may control the software but cannot replace the helmet the coil that we put all on our head we need a big coil and particularly these new developments that we're having where we have in the helmet several coils in order to stimulate different brain regions to coordinate the timing of the stimulation in order to change mm. in parts of the brain. Of course, this cannot be done by a miniature, uh, you know, device. It, it's it's a big helmet with many coils inside. It's absolutely fascinating, and I am fascinated by all of your studies and so it's hard for me to move through them all because I know, I know we're on limited time but I think we did a great job at getting people um, a little sampler platter of what our conversation is going to be at I think we gave people enough to chew on 
where they can go into the show notes and start looking for themselves about some of the technologies that you've invented, some of the studies that your lab is doing, and some of the other great doctors that are at your lab and what they're doing. And maybe if there's if there is a, a greater power at work, maybe we'll even inspire someone to begin moving in the next generation of thinking about this. And so I, I want to be mindful of your time. I know that we had a uh, we had a little snafu in the beginning, and I apologize for that. But I want people here to know we got more coming up. And before I let you go this time, though, where can people find you, and what do you got coming up? Where can people find me? In my lab, usually, most of the day, <laughs> at home. I'm uh, uh, most of the year I'm in Israel. I I I, I travel a lot to conferences, also uh, abroad mainly in the US, uh, so when there are, uh, where are there conferences on brain stimulation, I'm, I'm there. Sometimes I, I, I provide lectures in these type of uh, uh, international uh, symposiums and, and conferences. And, uh, but, but, but most of the year I'm in the lab, in my own lab, in the Ben Gurion University in Beersheba in Israel. But did you mean that or maybe I, well, I missed well, I, I was wondering if you had like your own website or if like um, oh where they can find me virtually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah oh, I didn't mean yeah. that. I'm sorry about that. Like that kind of came out weird on my yeah. part. I, I apologize. Yeah. No, it's it's my English. Well, uh, they can find me. I I, I don't. I'm not too much uh, in, in in the way on, on like I'm not very active in social networks. I, I'm too busy with my right. But uh, we have a, lab, a website uh, for the lab. We don't update it very often. <laughs> but uh, yes, uh, th there is a, a lab, a, a website for, for the Zangen lab, uh, for my lab. Uh, you can find it in the Ben Gurion University, where, where my lab is. And uh, you can also find a lot of information uh, in Brainsway. Brainsway is a that was actually founded based on the patents that I've developed together with my colleagues at the NIH. And uh, they, they just licensed the patents from the NIH. So Brainsway, and I'm serving as a, co a scientific consultant from Brainsway, I'm, and I'm one of the founders of the company. So although I'm a full-time professor in university, I, uh, I, I interact a lot with Brainsway, and Brainsway actually is doing a much better job on the web, like because they are, they, you know, it's it's commercial. It's 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 a public company. It's a, it's traded in the Nasdaq and, and and Israeli stock exchange. So this website of Brainsway will also have a lot of information about uh, about uh, brain stimulation using the deep deep TMS. This is actually the the, the the technology that we've developed. The deep transcranial magnetic stimulation. These big coils that allow stimulation of deep brain regions in order to treat uh, psychiatric and neurological disorders. So this website of Brainsway actually has a lot of interesting information and some testimonies for many patients who already benefited from the treatments. You know, these treatments are already approved by the F FDA and there are more than uh, uh, 150,000 uh, uh, patients that were already treated with the with these uh, you know devices and it's also covered by insurance. So of course there are many testimonies and Brainsway's uh, website is full with them. So anyone who really wants to learn about deep TMS and their its potential in in psychiatry can see much also in the Brainsway website. If you are more interested in the scientific uh, you know specific studies that we're doing now, 
and the, the future of the field. There is some in the brainstorming site, but that you will find more in my own website, which is not very much updated. Uh, uh, but still, you can find much in the Zange Lab website as well. Yeah. yeah so I would, I would find me virtually in these places and physically, either in my lab or at home, or when I come to, you know, conferences in Europe or in in the US, in the yeah. field of brain simulation. Yeah. And I would recommend that everybody check out the, the, the Brainswave site and also Google Scholar if you want to read some individual oh, yeah. reports of, of what you got going on. And yeah, and I'll put yeah. those links in the show notes so everybody can check them out. And I, I'm i really thankful to talk to you. I, I know your time is important, and I'm, I'm thankful for the things that you're doing. I think it's helping people around the world. And if we're being honest with ourselves, everybody knows somebody who's had problems in their life that can probably benefit from new technologies and better understanding of how the brain works. And so I'm really thrilled to get the opportunity to help share some information and to, to get you a look in the eyes. And I just want to say thank you. So I appreciate it. And that. I would like to thank you as well, because I looked at your website really, and, and you have very, very innovative, fascinating type of interview. I really like it. And, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to be part of your show. I'm really thankful for that. Really, it's 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 a very unique unique way of uh, delivering, you know, information to people uh, in different in very interesting area of of. Uh, um, I think the area that that you're interested in in, in mental health and and how the brain works is something that that everyone is interested. You don't need to be a neuroscientist to really. Be interested in it, and you are providing this in a very, you know, accessible way. So I'm sorry for my limited vocabulary in English. I, I hope I did. I, I was able to explain what I mean, right? I think that 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 the many people are interested in the interaction between mind and body. You don't need to be a, a professor in university to be interested in it. Everyone is interested in it, and and, and it looks like you are really into this question and and your interviews your different the, the audience that you are looking at and the people that you um, uh, invite for your interviews are really trying to touch this these interesting questions I, I yeah I really appreciate the the kind words and I uh, that's exactly what I'm trying to do I'm, I'm hopeful that I can provide a view from different areas and and Maybe maybe one person's view helps out this person, but if you put all those views together, it's like you can begin to get a bigger image of it. And I, I am I, I'm fascinated by the way we think. I'm fascinated by mental wellness and mental illness. And I've had plenty of people in my family that were affected by it. And your English is a million times better than my Hebrew because I don't speak it one bit at all. So, I, I'm, so really I, I'm happy I was able to interview you also a little bit and let you speak about your your. Um initiative yeah 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 and this is this is i gotta let you go your wife is gonna be upset with you if i don't let you go right now and so thank yeah. you so much for your time and ladies and gentlemen this is just the first one we're gonna go much deeper so thank you to everybody for your time doctor i really appreciate your time and i'll, I'll be reaching out to you here shortly to to set up some more some more conversations i really appreciate your thank time you, and George. i hope you have a phenomenal day all right Bye bye. okay yeah. aloha Hello everyone, 
Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true, but you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.